Welcome to Jewelry Artists, where we examine the art and business of making jewelry. Join me for intriguing conversations with jewelry artists who will inform and inspire you. I'm Katie Hacker, your host. My guest today is Todd Reed. He's an award-winning jeweler who uses raw diamonds for one-of-a-kind jewelry. Hey, Todd, I'm so excited to have you, the jewelry renegade here. Thanks for being on the show. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Thanks for having <laughs> me. I'm psyched to be here. Yeah, that's a nice intro. I, I, that's the first I've heard of that one. I like it. Oh, feel free to just run with it, you know? Yeah, I'm thinking I'll put a tattoo on my wrist or something. I think you should. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I mean, I read I read a lot about you and we've met before. And I think um, a lot of people are familiar with your work already. So I'd like to hear about, um, you know, how, why raw diamonds? I think that's really what set you apart when you kind of burst onto the scene. But is that what you think? Yes, definitely. I don't think there was that I was like really aware of any scene um, or anything, although I had exhibited at Tucson um as a seller prior to me using rough diamonds but and i had done some things in jewelry but people liked it but didn't love it and there and, you know and people were you know there were techniques or things that i was doing that were interesting but um when i stumbled across the metaphor of rough diamonds basically um i started using them really around questioning of value you know as a young art jeweler sort of questioning things in my stuff um, or working under the con- under the construct of um, artist rather than a jewelry company or jeweler, you know, as a uh, yeah. Yeah, teenager coming into this thing, it was about questioning value. Yeah, and the raw diamonds, I think, were the great differentiator. Although people had messed around with them, I think I was the first to really make a whole line out of them, and especially start to make wedding jewelry. When you say raw diamond, what exactly are you talking about? Meaning a diamond that's yet to be cut or polished. So diamond that comes out of the ground, whether it's a cube or an octahedron or a mackle, um, a board shape, you know, a broken thing, a ballast. We started, you know, cutting rough diamond into shapes over time. Um, but when I say rough diamond, I mean an uncut, unpolished diamond. I think the industry and the trade calls anything opaque raw uh, mm-hmm. is a misnomer. Raw uh, is is rough. It's the same thing. It means that it's not uh, cut or polished yet. And even if it has a window cut into it out of a factory or something, I don't call it rough anymore. Because uh, it's been through processing. Yeah, it's been cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, once it's been cut, it's not uncut anymore. Is it true that those kinds of diamonds are a byproduct of colorless diamond mining? Or do you go after them specifically? Well, the idea, I started doing these in 1992 in a a big way. And back then they really were. There was no industry for rough diamond other than abrasive. Thanks to like Jack Greenspan and Crystalite and other people you guys are well aware of back from, from back then um, in the late forties when that abrasive industry was invented Prior to that, there was nothing. And then even up until the early 90s, mid-90s, late 90s, I'd say there wasn't even still any other use for the rough diamond other than abrasive. And certainly not in jewelry. Like, you know, not you would walk to gem shows. Nobody had rough diamonds. You know, and now everybody has rough diamonds. So it was a, you know, again, it was something that I felt was really, really unique. Um, I was buying from industrial suppliers and, and and whatnot until i found my main 
my main guys, but people had generally overlooked Ralph Diamond as a, as a part of the fine jewelry industry. Um, that was that was the luck I had, or the foresight that I had, was to blend it in with the with the rest of fine jewelry. Yeah, I think a lot of people are drawn to diamonds because of the story, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is also obviously like this heirloom that people have all these associations of their own with. Yeah. And by mix, kind of mixing that story of the heirloom jewelry with this raw material, I think that is really different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I can see why you like it. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful raw material. It comes in a, a gazillion forms. And what I wanted to celebrate right off the bat in making jewelry was the uniqueness of things, or what we called like early on in the game, like the fifth C, which was character rather than the first. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, the first four Cs are sort of about sameness. You know, of course, we went like, well, diamonds, shouldn't there be something that makes them different? Like, well, gosh. And then I went like, oh, high school geology, like, shit, they are different. They are amazing and they're totally unique. Like the crystal structure is amazing. They're really sparkly and they refract beautifully. If, they, if, if they're opaque, they often reflect beautifully. Um, and the shapes are really unique. And I think people who are going to use these as a hallmark of love, um, who think that their love is somehow unique, why are we so attracted to always the ring that looks the same? So it really was a question of not only value, uh, dollar value, but personal value. Yeah, it's really grounding too. You know, I think the raw diamonds are really have a grounding quality to them. Yeah, I do too. Did you start out as a mineral guy? <laughs> um, kind of. I mean, I started out real young doing everything. So I kind of became everything all at once. I started getting into the rocks in high school. Even prior to that, I always loved rocks. I always was a collector. But I started this business in high school. So um, outside of jury, um, you know, I did the geology as a passion. And they just blended. And then I, I started, yeah, so I guess I was a rock guy, but it turned out. <laughs> I'm not like, like they oh, came, it was a synergy there. <laughs> I'm not like a hounder. I mean, mm-hmm. like my family, everybody has like rocks and like, you're, you're definitely going to get a rock in your stocking. Or, <laughs> you know, a beautiful carving or the rock guys know me because I love rocks, but it's not super part of my business. Oh, that's great. I'm going to bring a stocking over to your mantle at Christmas time. I hope that's okay. <laughs> when you were learning about jewelry, was so that was as a high schooler? Well, I didn't really do any jewelry in high school, but I was high school age when I was, because I had some issues getting out of high school and I started making jewelry. As, uh, well, I started making jewelry young in life as a way to give people gifts. But I did mm-hmm. it in um, jewelry in high school, again, as a way to make gifts. And then right when I got out of high school, between before I would have gone to college, I got a job doing leathersmithing and in that leathersmithing job we did concho making and belt buckle making and all kinds of silversmithing and stuff and so I kind of so it was like that year like where high school ended and life began that I started working in the jewelry and cutting rocks also for another job so it was like all all happening kind of at once and I was also developing my own thing which was this kind of quirky stuff that I still make the quirky stuff being jewelry stuff or the quirky stuff being other arty things? The jewelry objects, you know, whether, yeah, back then in the 90s, it would have been um, like I'd make something and then make it like a really unique box for it or whatever. You oh, know, nice. I had a lot of like things going on with it. It was less of a business and more of like a learning the craft. And then, of course, it you know became a business. But 
uh, it was the leather smithing that got me really, really turned on to the jewelry making um, as metal smithing. Like in high school and everything, it was like a lot of jewelry design and making things in classes. But it was uh, working as a leather smith where I, I did learn how to solder and stamp and make tools and that kind of What do you think that your self back then would think now? seems like you've had a huge trajectory, you know, from being kind of an apprentice and student to you have other people that you're teaching now and who work with you and customers you work with. And it seems like a the really great outcome, you know, from what, all those things that you learned. Yeah, it was like a logical, like if I could see myself now back then, as I was back then now, that kind of question. Like, I yeah, think I know it's a hard one. Be like you know like all right man still keep it simple and you've come, like gone off the rails a couple of times but like you know that 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 good <laughs> that good base of skills and passion around the rocks and the craft of it all is mm-hmm. keeping me here is keeping me um keeping me going usually yeah like that's bringing it all together yeah um and that's the rails, I guess, is that like the strong backbone or the actual love. And sometimes I actually have lost it over the years and found it again. And I guess um, I'm thankful for that beginning where it was just passion. It wasn't like a, a business decision to become a jeweler or to make a jewelry company. It was a a way that I found myself as a human in this crazy world was to make things with my hands and the the love and the connection and the precision and all the things gelled together in jewelry. And I'm really grateful for that. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you do lose the, the passion or whatever, but I do think it, it, it's always come back for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it gets complicated having a business that has grown out of something that you love. I mean, for me, it's the only way, but it is not always the easiest way. Right. Well said. Thanks. Well, let's talk a little bit about, I read something about you ran across the idea, the Quaker principle of the right relationship, and that you have been able to apply that to your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I read that in the questions about the Quaker thing. I'm not really sure about that. So I mean, no disrespect to anybody out there who does hear this, if it is a Quaker thing. I got turned on to the idea what what my best friend Bennett called right relationship from a Buddhist principle. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry about that. That's okay. I, it, it could very well be Quaker. I think that a lot of these probably, you know, religions or share similar principles around things like Right relationship, which are, are, are sort of a triumvirate between civic responsibility, social responsibility, and environmental stewardship, and that was just a, a choice of you know I think as I was describing what I was doing to my friend back then, you know, way back when he was like, "Wow, that sounds like you know right relationship principles or whatever." I was like, "Oh, what's that?" You know, and then he described it just like I did. Oh, it's this triumvirate that always gets this equal energy. You know, nothing become falls out of balance between civic and social responsibility um, coupled with environmental stewardship. And I think that that's important because, you know, our, our sustainability or being green or using recycled materials for us was a, was how I started the brand way back in the, you know, in the 1988, early nineties. And when it became popular in the trade or the industry, I sort of, I didn't, it was just like a choice of how I was going to run the company. It wasn't a choice on, oh, now we have to do this or we have to change things or whatever. It was just part of the way I started the company. 
So, oh, good for you. What that looks like would be not doing anything, or at least to my knowledge. I mean, you do have to trust people at a certain point. I've had really good questions like, well, how do you know that that's true? And I mean, ultimately, you don't know anything's true. Like, you know, if you believe it to be true, it is true. And at the same time, nothing's really true. And, you know, we get really for <laughs> about this if we want. But at a certain point, we have to trust somebody. <laughs> and I've been working, I try to work with people I trust or, you know, uh, for, for everything. So, Socially, you know, social and civic responsibility would include not only our region, like our town and our, you know, local, local, as well as national, as well as international. But, um, you know, just trying to keep the process not from tipping the scale into one, one negative aspect or another, like taking raw materials from one place or hurting the environment to build a business to get raw material. And in this business, I think that this stewardship idea and responsibility is very important. So we, you know, we buy secondhand or recycled or upcycled material. The for way. all of your metals, you mean, or for everything? Uh, yeah, stones and metals. And, you know, there's, oh. so, there's so much out there that there's really no need to get new stuff for the most part. Um, and that also is Melly. You know, way back when we kind of got this hit, like, what the heck is happening? All these people are selling gold in 2008, 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, you know, 16. And it was like, what's happening to all the stones in there? All the melly, you know, like everybody will give you like a what for your what in gold, but what happens to the other stuff? Um, So for people who are like exchange, doing a gold exchange kind of thing, going through their treasure, their treasures and exchanging them for cash. Right. When I sell my class ring, I get paid for the gold, but not the diamonds or the sapphires or whatever. Yeah. Well, we come to find out that those things have just been getting bagged up and stored under counters at these gold melting places and you know we started working with our diamond dealer to get us what we now what now is an industry standard called breakout you know so it's basically a recycled or an upcycled diamond um we started doing this way back when and it's really the same way we buy diamonds now and i always argue that diamonds are diamonds you know carbon c4 is c4 and if it carries a grade for a reason that's why we have this great system that we love um so why not get upcycled, recycled diamonds that have been broke out of melts? Um, that makes sense, yeah. How we buy Melly and, you know, we have a little strategy for each kind of diamond that we buy. When you say we, are you working with a team? Well, you never do it alone. I mean, yeah. always a team. Even when I was alone, it was never alone because you got like Andrew selling me the stones or, you know, uh, Merle writing about things or. Um, right. <laughs> the postman way back when when i would walk everything down every day and pick stuff up you know that guy became part of the team because they got to help you out if you miss something or you're past your four days or whatever whatever they hold things for you and then as i would get staff regardless of their position whether they were designers um i mean nobody's ever been a designer but you know whether they're the not the designer or the designer it doesn't matter it's always a we because we always do it you know, everything you know, from the bookkeeper down to me, you know, the person. Right. Up, yeah. yeah, you're right. Um, when I worked exclusively at home, which I do again now, but I don't know my mailman as well now as I used to, <laughs> but, you know, he used to stop by and we'd have a chat and it's true. It does start to feel like they're part of your business and part of your success. Yeah, it's true. And we think that people don't really care, but we do. I mean, these FedEx drivers, these people, they like all of a sudden they're like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know Katie. I know, you know, I know right. I know Tyson. They got 25 packages last week. Things must be going well. <laughs> it's, 
it's small town stuff. People get into it. We want to champion each other as humans. And, but you know, if we're aligned even, or we think we're doing something for, you know, say a small business in a small town, that's employing people and making things happen or like, you know, all the way down the line, people want to touch it and it wants to be touched. So yeah, it's always a we for me, regardless of the size of the company. That's great. So you have a showroom there in Boulder and, and, and that's where you do your work as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We make it in the same uh, space just behind a piece of glass so people can really interact with the jewelry being made when they come into the store. Oh, wow. That's great. Mm-hmm. A good idea. And do you take your show on the road or do you have people mostly coming to you? That's a really good question. You know, right now it's COVID. So we're not really, we haven't done anything all year and I haven't pushed it. And right at the beginning of March, I did tell everybody that I wouldn't be traveling or my company for the whole year. So even if things were to look like they were going to get better, I was going to give it a year. So in general, we do travel quite a bit and we rely on it through the wholesale network. But, you know, I have a store here. So we always have some things and people do come here. And even my store, like, for example, I just read an article in, which I could remember the magazine, Town and Country, maybe even on uh, with my, a, a store that we work with, and they bring clients to us. They're in Florida, but they, you know, they bring clients to our store here. Oh wow! And some stores that we work with through our wholesale network, of course, will bring their clients here again because you got to trust somebody sometime. And we get to that point where everybody trusts everybody enough. We have an amazing experience and a beautiful store and showroom, and you want to see a lot of Todd Reed. It's I mean, I got the most. So mm-hmm. so it does behoove the store to embrace the idea of coming out here. Um, but for the most part, you know, we do we do both, you know, travel and have people here. Yeah, I can see how you're creating an experience where people want to come to you, but that sometimes you have to take it out and show it around. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, not just the, and not to correct you, we do have to, but we also want to because that we, we don't have those like say through our dealer network, which is big, there's a lot of opportunity that we don't have. And a lot of people obviously aren't going to get on a plane or want to drive or even deal with anything. Um, so it, it's really, you know, customer service or good experience really comes down to like, what makes it easier for you? I'll meet you anywhere. You know, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really matter. For me. Right. <laughs> I do yeah. have a good experience, but trust me, we're going to have a great time no matter where we meet. So, you know, where do you meet? Looks make just kind of like make it happen more. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, can you give us some tips for people who are shopping for raw diamonds or jewelry that features raw diamonds? Is there something in particular that they should be looking for besides that five C's? <laughs> I can't um, let go of that. That's so fun. Yeah. The you know, raw diamonds are different than cut diamonds. And I always tell people, like, you go with what you like. People oftentimes ask me, did I get a good one? I go, well, I think it looks like a good one if you feel like it's a good one. They're all um, good ones. Yeah, they're all good ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all created equally. Um, you know, this is this is a game of um, passion and desire. This is not a game of needs. You know, this is like um, the crystals themselves um, are so drastically different. The colors. Some people like myself are drawn to like really opaque things that have all kinds of weird angles and big things shooting off of them and weird stuff, you know, twin dodecahedrons and horn flowers and, um, you know, unique things because I'm looking at them all day long. At the beginning, the, the first thing I, I love the cube, and I still think it's the most fascinating shape because of the geometry. 
I just loved how like the jury industry or the De Beers's or the whoever's, the Oppenheimer's or whoever, or the whoever said, you know, most perfect cut in the world. It could be, I don't know who said it, but you know, whatever. It sounds very true. It's like the most perfect cut in the world. And mm-hmm. like, right. yeah. And I was thinking like, yeah, TM. And I was thinking like, huh, that thing comes out of the ground. Like, I mean, it comes out as a perfect cube. Now I'm thinking architecturally, like we've been running around the world trying to duplicate this strength and the fortitude and these angles. Um, but like even as a craftsman, you might go through a school and your whole test at the end might be to make a cube and you likely fail. It's very challenging. So mm-hmm. your nature is making them perfectly and then we're going and cutting them and calling them the perfect cut. So I thought it was fascinating. So I do think the cube is still the most interesting. Um, of course, translucent rough, like rough that would get cut is always nice to grab something before it gets cut um, because you can't cut, uncut it ever. So, um, yeah. you know, a beautiful translucent juicy octahedron or something I think is very special. I always look for perfect geometry. You know, like um, if it's a mackle, let it be a let it be really triangular. Let it all the angles be be perfect. If it's a cube, make the angles be perfect. And if somebody's like, "Well, that's hard," it's like, "Well, yeah, that's that is hard. That's what makes it really special when you find one." Mm-hmm. Um, same with octahedrons. Make the faces be nice. If it's a ballast, make it be a perfect sphere. Um, I like that. I like that about about the, the rough diamond. Yeah, I hadn't really considered that that idea of geometry mm-hmm. and how that could really be what draws you in. Yeah. Do you feel like with the um, the metals um, that you're building around it or near it are reflective of that mathematical feeling? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, one of the things that I've done that is unique again around rough diamonds is I I actually work with the rough diamond, and I think that's what made my work somewhat successful is that you know we didn't try to make the rough diamond not a rough diamond the rough diamond is a rough diamond um meaning that if all the sides aren't exactly the same like our bezels aren't always the same or our mounting you know so our mounting is really stone so that got us really fancy on undulating and weird thicknesses and thin and thick and tall and narrow and all the angles different angles all throughout the whole stone all the way around but i think that's the cool part of working with the rough diamond again if we were using only cut diamonds and we say had a 0.005 millimeter tolerance for our mountings or whatever it was like almost be like we didn't need to be stone setters or goldsmiths stuff just fits and i really like that handsy aspect of working with rough diamond yeah i know what you mean and i think from looking at your work it feels like a very you're layering a very i don't know if you're gonna like the word precise but i feel like there's some a lot of precision there but it's to an organic shape. Mm-hmm. So yep. the precision is, it kind of turns on its head the, the ideas we have about what precision should look like. Yep. And it's a real challenge, you know, try to make a, you know, a set of hinges on nothing that's straight that operates totally straight. And you go like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff inside those that make them line up right. You know, because certainly the stone isn't level, but the, right. but the hinge has to end up level. You know, yeah, so it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really fun. Um, and I think when people get into the jury, you start looking at it, turn it inside out, start working it. It's fascinating. It's yeah, really cool. The rough diamonds though aren't for the faint of heart, which is why most of us as jewelers end up buying them and never using them. Oh, <laughs> you have your little uh, little stash, and that's all. Yeah, because yeah, it's a challenge, but um, I, I really like the ones. They're just fantastic. They're fantastic. Beautiful. 
If you weren't working with diamonds or aren't working with diamonds, what stones would you want to be working with? I do work. We work with everything. Um, I'm kind of well known for diamonds in that at the time, not that many people were doing it. So my mm-hmm. name home associated with it, but I like um, all materials. I'm working on a bunch of projects with turquoise right now. Um, I'm fascinated by blue stones and green stones. So, I mean, I'm basically like a regular jewelry person in that I go for <laughs> tourmalines and I've got okay. a pile of like emerald rings that we're doing for some clients right now. And um, yeah, I'm just breaking sapphires all the time. Um, you know, there, there's so many alternatives to diamond. It's certainly what differentiated me. And I think from a business perspective, if you want to differentiate at some point, you've got to choose something that does differentiate. Um, sure. doesn't mean you don't, you don't, you know, it's like if we spoke a crazy language, like we probably still have to speak one that other people understood too. You know, so I, I do use, you know, materials that people get, um, as well as the rough one. So it's not all renegade all the time. Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying <laughs> uh, the way that we use even conventional materials is unique, but um, <laughs> but I do try to make things that can get get something to somebody at the end of the day. <laughs> so so thicknesses and widths and sizes, and but I'll do. I mean, recently, like in talking to a client, for example, with the emerald, it was like you know for sure emerald cut emeralds are amazing, but what if we can get like a straight cornered emerald for you in the same size same quality it's like well huh, why doesn't anybody do that well it's like well it's dangerous i mean stuff could break on you it's not that easy to set not that many people want to you know try to get those real super square corners on that kind of material and um you know but i think it's really unique you know if, if we could pull it off one if we could find it we could set it <laughs> it doesn't right. break on our hand then you know haven't we pulled something fantastic off that's really a unique special piece and we'll of course put it in a mounting that supports like this lifestyle the young couple, but um, I'm thankful that he wanted to try something unique. You know, we do a lot of regular emerald cut emerald. Really nice to get like that little, that, that straight one out there um, because the guy really did want to be unique. Yeah, and work with some to work with something different like that is makes it a little bit more fun, more cha- a lot more challenging, I would imagine. Yeah, for them too. Yeah, is to like say like, do we want something that's a little bit off? Um, I always say like, we'll let us worry about the the, the how to part. We just want to work focus on the design. The client, and if somebody wants something really unique but has a real traditional aesthetic like this, it's just a simple bezel on a band. Well, let's make it the cut, then let's let's try to get it unique in the cut. Mm-hmm. I like what you said about, um, you know, that people's love for each other is unique, and so they should have something that reflects that unique quality and not same, same. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite piece of jewelry that you've made? It's tough, no. I don't think so. You know, I really love them all. And I think I love them all. I'm all right. Like full disclosure about me is, and it is like, I oftentimes will be like, that was my favorite movie I've ever seen. You know, and I'll say that after <laughs> every movie or like if I watch a show or go to the theater, I'll be like, that's the best performance I've ever seen. So my shop, if they would listen to this, which they probably wouldn't, um, just just because whatever, not because of it. But no, I know they, they would hear it. And <laughs> he always does that. He'll be like, "This is my favorite piece," and I will really sell it. We have a company, lots of company meetings and stuff, and I'll be like, "The favorite thing that we've ever made in thirty-two years is this piece," and it'll be whatever. It could be a, like a ball mark for a golf thing or something like a, 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 a <laughs> some little thing or some big thing. Um, I think the reality is I really love them all. And at any given moment, you know, something feels more special. 
Um, I, I've had a few spe- like ultra special things that I've made over the years, but typically for family, family or friends. Yeah, that labor of love, and then the person that you give it to. Yeah, it becomes part of the story too. Exactly, but they all do really a tremendous amount of love, all of them. So, yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, I do too. It shows. <laughs> it's beautiful work. Well, Todd, it's just been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Sure. Eddie, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. To see pictures, please check out our show notes, interweave.com slash jewelry dash artist dash podcast. Jewelry Artist is hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker. We had help from Tamara Hahnemann and Merle White, with special thanks to the team at Lapidary Journal Jewelry Artist Magazine. Jewelry Artist is an interweave podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. Our podcast producer is Matthew Talisfor. Tammy Jones is our web editor and Jesse Rodriguez does our marketing. Our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.